We are in our series, uh, The Future of the Family. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, Future Family? Tell them that. Say, Future Family. In this series, uh, it's been a four-part series, and if you didn't make the other three parts, let me just review for a second so you're on the same page with the rest of us. Uh, We started this series under the pretense the first week that we need to be able to see the future, what's coming. What will families look like in the days ahead? Do we have the ability to actually correct the direction that is happening in our own lives, and our own families? And we said, yes, in fact, we need to be able to see what's coming, what's Upon us. We not let the world dictate to us what a family or a marriage is supposed to look like. Not let culture say, this is, a fa- this is a modern family. But what does the word of God say? And actually be able to translate that into more modern terms. And so we looked at the life of David. And we realized that David, although he's a great man of God. I mean, he, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. He was a great warrior. In fact, he was a great man of worship. I mean, he set up night and day worship in the city of David. I mean, he's a great man of God, but he wasn't so good at working properly in his family as a good dad. In fact, we, we saw that in times that he should have corrected, in times he should have made course corrections, he didn't do it. And we gave you this kind of little imagery. This is kind of like a lot of our lives is that white straight line to the cross and we get on the good path, if you will. Life changes and we come to Christ and we give ourselves over to him. And just life begins to happen, right? We'll get a little off, just a few degrees off will end us totally away from our goal, totally from our place of being right with the Lord, and that we have to make course corrections. Our children get a little older, and so what we were doing when they were this age needs to be corrected so that we can actually have come back into right alignment with the Lord now that they're at this certain age. Or our marriage has had now, we're, past, we're at the eight-year mark where a lot of marriages fall apart, they say. And so we want to be able to make course corrections. And so we talked about doing that in the first one. In the second part, the second part of the, our series, we talked about the enemies. Uh, literally, the enemies of our future, of our future family, our future marriages. What are the enemies? And we identified that there are three major enemies. Anything, number one, anything that steals trust. Anything that steals trust in the marriage, that's an enemy in our family. We gotta kill it. We gotta get rid of it. We gotta fight against it. Anything that steals confidence. Anything that steals confidence, we gotta get rid of it. And then anything that steals intimacy, real love for our spouse, real love for our our children and our moms and dads. Anything like that, we've gotta destroy it and and, and completely annihilate it. And then we moved into last week, Pastor Jonathan was here at the Cedar Hill campus and I was preaching the message there in the Mansfield campus and we taught you how to build. How to build. I mean, we know we've got enemies, but how to build. And what we did was we looked at that passage, you know, uh, in Proverbs. It says, you know, wisdom hewns out her pillars. And we talked about how to literally set the foundations. And we told you the storyline about how, you know, Joe Pool Lake, who's just down the street, was this, you know, like, like most of the lakes in Texas, was it's man-made. They dug it out. And then they took all that dirt, and they basically, they, they dumped that dirt around the lake. And much of it went to what's called Lake Ridge Subdivision. I lived in that subdivision for a season. Big million-dollar homes, $2 million homes. A lot of those houses are very expensive, but many of them have these huge cracks in their foundation because the builders took and built on top of the dirt that had come out of the lake, if you will, and they didn't go down to bedrock and they didn't hewn out some real strong pillars, foundations, and now here they are trying to fix it, these multi-million dollar homes. And what we said was, let us build our homes properly. Let's build our marriages properly. You guys that are single, let's hewn out the pillars now so that as God brings that mate into our life, that we'll have a strong foundation from which to build. And with that being said, today we're going to close out this series on the future of the family and how to protect, how to protect 
that which God is building in our lives and in our families. God's been doing some amazing things in each and every one of us. How do we protect that? Our key verse, if you'll turn with me quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. You can put that, uh, punch that into your digital Bible or you can pull out paper and read it there on your paper Bible. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7. Now this is the passage about what love is. And skipping down to verse 7, love always protects. Would you say that with me? Love always protects. It's on the screen. Love always protects. Sometimes it protects. Only when it feels like it, it protects. In times that are real difficult, always protects. That's what love is. Love protects. It always protects. Years ago, I, ran, I, I developed a friendship with a woman by the name of Gail McWilliamson. Her and her husband, Tony, became friends of mine. It started when I was working at Christ for the Nations, and Tony and Gail were the, deans of, uh, the dean of families, and, uh, which means they oversaw the families. And uh, I'll never forget sitting with, with Tony and saying, man, what's your vision for this area? He goes, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. I really, I have a dream in my heart of my wife and I traveling around the nations of the world and telling our story of how God did such a miracle in our life. I said, what story? He goes, he goes the story of my wife and, and, and how she's blind. I was like, I'm sorry? He goes, you never met my wife. I said, I haven't. He goes, you know what? I'm going to have her come and, and I'm going to have her come to your office. I want you to meet her. So he called her over. And she came, she came in, and she had her keys in her hand, and she was completely blind. And she said, sorry, I would have got here sooner, but traffic was a little bad. And I'm looking at this blind lady, and she laughed. She was such a teaser. She's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. And she sat down. He helped her sit down and this kind of thing. And I, and I don't know what to say. What do you say to a blind person who's rattling their keys like they just drove over to your office, right? And it's like, I, I don't really know what to say. So I just started in, so... Have you always been blind? <laughs> and, she, and she said, no, no, no. Uh, she said, uh, it happened a few years ago. And she commenced to tell me the story. She said, you know, we were married and we, ha- we were pregnant with our first child. I started having problems with my eyesight. I started having these intermittent you know, uh, times where I couldn't see. And so you know, the doctors ran tests on me. They couldn't figure out what it was. I gave birth to our first child. It was beautiful. Everything kind of went back to normal. And she said, and then we got pregnant with our second child and we were halfway into the pregnancy or a little bit further. I was showing pretty good. And the doctor called me in for a special meeting. They'd been running tests. They'd been doing research on me. And uh, during this second preg- pregnancy, same thing happened. I started having these moments where I couldn't see. I started losing my vision. started losing my sight. So they called me in. And the doctor, she sat across from me. And she had this big file. And she said, we've all the research. What all we can determine is, is that by, in the midst of this pregnancy, what's happening is that you are going to lose your eyesight. You will be blind in the next two weeks unless we terminate this pregnancy. Whatever's happening in your body, and, I, and of course, she probably gave me some details and I didn't really understand the medical details. But whatever's going on, this child is literally its life, its existence is going to cause you to go blind. And I, my counsel to you is that we terminate this pregnancy right now. Right now. And Gail said to me, sitting there in my office, she said, and my response was, that is not happening. This decision has already been made. My child will live and not die and proclaim the works of Even if I lose my eyesight, I will protect the child that's in my womb. She could not give credence to killing this baby just so she could keep her eyesight. And and as she's sitting there in my office, I'm just weeping, right? She can't see it, but I'm just weeping. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You gave up your sight to protect your child. She goes, yes, sir, I did. 
And she said, not only that, but we've had three other kids since those first two. And of my five kids, I've only seen one. I've never seen the other four. That's why I'm believing, she pulled out her keys, that God's going to heal my eyesight so I can drive anywhere I want to go. So these keys are a testimony that God can heal me and he will do something great in my life. Friend, can I tell you something? Isn't that something that's good? Gail McWilliams. A couple years ago, she passed and, and, and is with the Lord. Her daughter, actually, one of her daughters used to come to our church. Phenomenal people. Good people overall. Look what this passage of Scripture says in Proverbs 2 and verse 8. For he guards the course of the just, and he protects the way of his faithful ones. Aren't you glad that he protects your way? Aren't you glad he guards you, that he's watching out for you? Why? Because love always, say it with me, protects. Say it again. Love always protects. I know you love your wife. I know you love your husband. I know you love your children. So let's protect it. I know you love the beautiful marriage that God's given you. So let's protect it. I know you love the kids that God's brought into your life supernaturally. So let's protect it. We've been talking about how to build. But now let's talk about how to protect that which God has given us. You say, I'm single. I I, I don't really have a marriage. Listen, we're talking about how to protect it now before you ever even have a spouse. Learning to do that will change your life forever. So let me give you a couple steps to protecting what you love. Give you a couple of teaching pieces I think that will help you. Number one, we got to set boundaries. Number one, we got to set boundaries. Satan is constantly trying to steal, so you got to set some boundaries. You got to build some walls around that beautiful marriage. You got to build some walls around this family unit that you have. You got to set some boundaries. In Job chapter 1, verse 10, we see that God and Job are having this discussion, and Job's trying, excuse me, Satan and God, and Satan's trying to attack Job. And he says this to him. Look what he says in, in, in verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, Have you not put a hedge around him? And his household and everything he has. You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. I want to get at him, but you keep putting putting fences around him and I can't get to him. Aren't you glad God puts fences around you and the enemy can't destroy you? And we we see even in God's relationship with humanity that he puts fences around. You and I got to learn to put boundaries around that which is precious to us. We got to put up some, we got to put some guard around that place. And we got to set some boundaries where enemy cannot get in. And there's a real enemy trying to get to your children, trying to get to your marriage. And so I'll tell you some of the boundaries that we have set in our household as the McCain household. Number one is that we've decided we'll never be alone with the opposite sex. I'm never alone with the opposite sex. My wife is never, she's a councilwoman. Businessmen want to meet with her. She's never alone with the opposite sex. I mean, we put a boundary. I am going to protect the sanctity of this marriage. I'm going to protect her confidence in me, and she's going to protect my confidence in her by putting a boundary around it. And we said, that's a boundary we will not cross. We will not step over that. That is a boundary that we have set in place. One time, uh, years ago, I was in the middle of the parking lot over, uh, over at Christ for the Nations, and one of the ladies uh, that was overseeing something, she was standing in the middle of the parking lot. I said, oh, I need to ask her something. So I pulled into the parking lot, huge parking lot. All the students have left for the day, and, so, and it's just empty. And I rolled in the window. And I said, listen, I need you to check on this, this, and this. And she said, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. All of a sudden, it's one of those Texas downpours that you don't know where it came from. And it just starts storming. She's in the middle of the parking lot with nowhere to go. I'm like, uh, get in the back seat. And so as she jumps in the car, I call my wife. I said, Jamie, I want you to know I'm here with Karen. Hey, Miss Jamie, okay. And listen, we were in the middle of the parking lot. One of those Texas storms just happened. And I just want you to know that she's, I'm driving her to her office right now. Woo, Jesus is good. Karen's right there. La, 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 la. Okay, all right, bye, Karen. Be careful, okay. Woo, I just want you to know, girlfriend. Ain't nobody be taking no pictures of me putting on Instagram. I got some woman in my car. 
I'm talking to you right now. What, I, what we did, we put, and we got multiple boundaries that we've decided as a family. We've decided on a couple of things that we never curse each other. Our kids never curse. They've never heard me curse. We don't curse each other. We just put a boundary around and said, you know what? Life and death is in the power of tongue. I'm never going to talk bad about you. You're never going to talk bad about me. We whoop our kids if they start talking bad about each other when they were young. They never have. And we put a boundary. We just don't cross over it. And if we ever get too close to it, hey, hey, we don't do that. We set some boundaries. Why? Because you put a gate, you put a wall around that which you actually want to keep safe. You actually want to protect it. So you put some walls. I'll tell you something else. We never spend money. Jamie and I don't spend money without talking to each other about it. We don't, she just don't go out and just say, you know, I bought, look what I bought. This is awesome. I don't just come home with a boat. Look what I just found it. It's awesome. We set some boundaries. We have a boundary. We discuss it before we buy, make any major purchases. We've set a budget for our life. So we live by that budget. So she don't have to ask me, can I buy some toilet paper? Is that all right? And I don't have to ask, is it okay if I actually put gas in the car? Are you okay with that? We have a budget. And we're not dumb. But we set some real boundaries. Uh, we, 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 we have a, a couple key boundaries. Kids don't, our, 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 our teenagers don't just bring people in the house unannounced. I'm going to be sitting there in my boxers. I don't want you coming up in the house with all your little girlfriends like, oh, hey, hey let me get out. You know, so we set some boundaries. Like, we don't do that. Recently, uh, you know, my, my fifth grader, Adeline, she came home and she's like, Dad, our opening question is, when can I have a boyfriend? I'm like, hold up, let me go get my shotgun real quick. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? No. And she's like, Dad, when I got to have a boyfriend? And she starts telling me, all the little kids at her school, they're talking about boyfriends and girlfriends. They're fifth graders. And so I backed up and I said, well, sweetheart, let's talk about this. When can you have a boyfriend? Never. I mean, what, what, how do you answer that as a dad? I'm like, yeah, you know, what do you mean? It's like, you, you want to have All the boys can be your friends and all the girls too. What do you mean? And she goes, no, when can I have like a boyfriend like everybody else is doing? I'm like, what is everybody else doing? She goes, like, they have a boyfriend. They have girlfriends. What does that mean? So I, I started building a fence. I'm building this boundary. I said, what does that mean? Said, what do you want to do? What, what do you want to do special with that boy that you can't do with all the other boys? You want to talk to him? Well, yeah. I said, do you want to kiss on him? No, Dad. Oh, gross. Why are you doing that? I was like, well, where are you trying to get to with this thing? And the reason why is because I'm attacking the world system. Because you and I both know the world system is what? They, get, they, they start being boyfriend and girlfriend. Then they start making out. Then they start putting their hands. Come on now. This thing escalates fast. They're watching all these YouTube videos. They're seeing all this junk on the internet. So I begin to walk her through. Do you want to do this? Oh, my God. No. Do you want to do that? Ah. She's like, stop it. I asked her permission to tell the story, by the way. She's real nervous about how I'm going to tell it. So I'm, I'm leaving out all the, the details on purpose because she told me to. And, uh, <clears throat> but at the end of it, what we did is we said, so what do you want? She goes, I, I just want to be able to like boys, I guess. I was like, thank you. That's good. And I said, what else? And she goes, well, I just want to, like, if I really think one's cute, can I say that? I was like, look, I met some of these little dudes at her school. There's a little Brazilian dude. That dude is so cute. Like, I like him. I mean, like, that kid is, <laughs> that kid, like, we might want to marry him now. Let's at least get a covenant relationship between the family or something. You know, start paying down to some dowry money, buddy. Let's see it. And so, but, but I mean, I, and so we just talked it through, and what we did was we set a boundary. That's good, but do you think you should be doing this? No. Set the boundary. Do you think this is right? No, Jesus wouldn't be pleased with that. That's right. We talked it, and we set the boundary. We set that boundary. Why? Because 
There's an enemy who's trying to destroy your family, destroy your children, and you've never even talked to him about it. You never even came up with a plan to set a fence to protect what's beautiful. I want to protect her innocence. I want to help her protect her, 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 her sexuality. I want to help her protect what's precious, and that is our love. I don't want her to be rebellious against me, and I don't want to have in, in, enmity between me and her. I love my daughter. And I, want, I want every good thing to be. I want her to have every good thing. I don't want to be a, a prude and a weird, mean old man. All boys are the devil. Let's kill them all. You know, I don't want to be that person. At the same time, I don't want her living in the world system, and neither does she. So let's attack the world system and let's put proper boundaries. Are you still with me? Say yes. You got quiet, but I'm preaching good. Number two, here's the second thing that I would teach, and that is you need to add structure. Add structure. Some of you, you're all over the map. Do you know what brings children and spouses security? That there's structure. That you come home at 5 o'clock. Not at 7, not at 8. I might be noon. I don't know. Structure. Knowing when they're going to have dinner. Having a bedtime. It's good for children to have a bedtime. And stick to that bedtime. He said, oh, little Johnny just keeps saying, can I watch one more Netflix? No, it's 10. Let's go. Eight, whatever your bedtime is for those kids. Every one of us needs some orderly, some structure, if you will. Do you know it was God who brought structure to the world? Look at this in Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not two supernatural molecules bumped into each other. Now we have intelligent design. It takes more faith to believe in evolution. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and was empty. Darkness over the face of the deep. Do you know that empty and formless? That original word is where we get our, the original word in the original language is actually the word that we get from, we get the word chaos. So when it says formless and void, it was chaotic. All the stirrings of what was there was chaotic. There was nothing to it. And it says, and then all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord, uh, God was hovering over the waters. And verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then we see for the next, you know, the next uh, few verses, that the six days of creation, he begins to create. Create. He brings order. I'm going to tell the sun to be right there. I'm going to tell the earth to rotate like this wall going around. And you're going to do that every day at the same time, the same way. I'm gonna, the seeds are going to go down in the ground. And then what they're going to do is they're going to germinate. They're going to pop up out of the ground. And then the bees are going to germinate that. And this thing's going to happen. It's going to bear fruit. And he commanded it to be. He set it in order. Creation and that we know, the life that we know, and the way things work, God set that in order. And you and I sometimes live in these crazy lives, and we're running over here, and we're rushing over there. We hadn't had dinner together in, in, in 10 years. We hadn't sat down and had any good conversation, and we're running from thing to thing to thing to thing because there's no structure to our lives. And you and I need to get a hold of that thing. Because some of you, can I just help you a little bit? Do you know what the number two reason for divorce is in the United States? Money. You know what it's over? The couples don't know how to budget. There's no order to their spending. She works and makes this much money. He works and makes this much money. And there's a halfway discussion about it. And some of you, just culturally, you have two separate accounts. And all right, you pay the house note and I'll pay the two car notes. And I'll be this and this kind of this. And a lot of that, and I totally disagree with that, by the way. And this is, this is, there's no biblical precedence for this. But I believe that the Bible says the two have become one flesh. So I believe our finances should be together and we should be working as one, not as two individuals. Some of that's based on fear, by the way. Because if he ever leaves me, I got my own money. I'll tell you that right now. I got my own job. Peace. You know? But he don't make as much money as me, so 
compete, you know. And so I think the problem with that is that there's no faith involved. And when we come together, we're one. It's not Adam and Jamie. It's the McCains. We're one. And because you don't know how to live on a budget, because you haven't sat down and said, okay, we're going to spend this much on a house note. We're going to spend this much on a car note. We're going to pay this much in insurance. We're going to have this much for food. We're going to set aside this much for entertainment. We've got to go to the movies. We've got to have a Netflix account. We're going to spend this much. And you don't live by way of that orderliness. You don't have a real structure in place. And so you're just adding things and more things are happening. And you do realize every time you add something new to your life, something is going to sacrifice. And you keep adding things. And nobody stops and says, hey... If he takes on football, baseball, track, and he's doing drama, it's going to kill us. And you let little Johnny just play everything. And you can't figure out why you ain't never been to church, you ain't got no friends, come on somebody. While you're stressed out of your mind, it's because there's no orderliness to your plan. You have no plan. You're just wheelie-neely, just running around. Can't figure out why you don't even know each other anymore. You have no date night. You have no structure. I would encourage you, get some structure in your life. This night we do this. This day we do this. We have free space here to do this. Mr. Johnson, who's one of the most amazing members of our church, he passed away a few weeks ago. His beautiful daughter, Miracle, is one of our worship leaders. And they were telling me, they said, you know, Dad, he was real, real structured and, and real organized in some areas. Other areas he wasn't so much. But one thing he was serious about, we went to church every Sunday. Didn't matter. We went to church every Sunday. We knew Sunday we were going to church. Didn't matter what we did on Saturday. Didn't matter what we had to do after lunch on Sunday. We went to church Sunday morning. Didn't matter. We've done that our whole life. Even once they became adults, where are you at? It's church, Sunday. Like they didn't even live in his house. Miracle told stories. He said he'd be sitting here 10 minutes before service start, and he'd start texting them, where are you at? Church about to start. They're adults, grown people, got their own job. DJ has his own wife, his own child. Where are you at? Why are you not here? And, and Miracle's texting back, Dad, I'm in the back. I'm about to lead worship. Well, I don't see you. DJ, where you at? Dad, it's hard getting the baby dressed this morning. We're on our way. We're going to be there. Why? That brought safety and security because there was a structure. See, children sometimes, if they don't have the, sa- the structure, they become insecure. Spouses, if they don't know that there's a clear path and a clear plan, they become insecure. You need to sit down, both of you, sit down. If you're married, if you're a single person, start figuring out structure. Start figuring out what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this every time. Some of you don't ever rest. You don't have a good Sabbath time. You come to church, and then you go running out of here. And you got to go do all these thousand things before you go to work the next day. And you don't have any clear structure. You're just wheelie-neely, and you're all over the place. And so no one can present. If God presented you with a miracle opportunity, you couldn't even take it because you filled your life up with so much chaos that you couldn't even add something beautiful that God would want to give you. You wouldn't even know what to sacrifice or let go of if God added something new to you because you have no structure. It's time to get your arms around and protect what God is doing, what God has done by putting some structure to it. And I'm telling you right now, I'm preaching good. Here's the third thing. (laughs) Y'all got quiet. Here's the third thing I would teach you to do to protect that which you love, and that is you got to weed and feed. Say it with me, weed and feed. God's been changing your life. I've been watching you. You've come to church, gotten back right with the Lord, starting to, starting to learn how to, how to be a good, good family, good marriage. Can I tell you what? You've got to keep feeding that. Some of you, you made a turnaround two years ago. And you said, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to stop going to the clubs. I'm going to serve Jesus. You found us. You started trying to connect with a small group and things like that. You've been making some good turnarounds. It's good. Now keep feeding that. Keep feeding that. 
The old adage back in the day said, feed what you want to live and starve what you want to die. Feed what you want to live, starve what you want to die. You and I have to feed the thing that God's doing in our life and starve the old wicked flesh and old sinful nature. I'm so proud of you. There's some bros in this room, man. They used to, every Friday night, they go out with the boys. And they go drinking and, and carousing and doing whatever. They got right with God. And, and, and every now and then, those bros keep trying to call them. But what they keep doing is they keep feeding what they want to live. And they keep starving out. Hey, I, man, I can't, I, mean, I can't do it, bro. I love you guys, man. I got a small group. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we bought a, another house a couple weeks ago and moved into a house that, that fit us a little bit better. And it's an older home from the 90s, early 90s, late 80s. And, uh, and I guess the people who lived there before us at some point must have taken care of the yard. They just hadn't done it in a while. And so, so we moved in, and uh, I'm looking at the yard, and I'm like, man, this is so green. I'm so, th- uh, this is awesome. Pastor Jonathan comes by to drop something off, and, he, and, he's, and he's, you know, he's looking at it, and he goes, man, I'm so sorry about your yard. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's all green. He goes, that's weeds. <laughs> I was like, well, it's green. I, I, like, I mean, it's good to me. And he goes, no, that's weeds. And he pulled it aside. He goes, see, you got St. Augustine underneath it, but look, it's dying out because all these weeds are, are killing it out. And, and, and you got more weeds than you got, than you got real grass. I was like, how do you know all this? He goes, well, he said, you know, we built that house a few years back. And he goes, and they put sod out. And he goes, and I just went to cutting the grass. And I just went about, you know, just uh, weed eating and making it look nice. He goes, and my yard looked worse than anybody else's in the whole neighborhood. He said, in fact, people were saying stuff about it. And so and I kept trying and kept trying. He said, I did for a couple years. And finally, I realized something's wrong with my grass. I got defunctional grass, defunct grass. I don't know what my problem is. So he said, I called one of these specialists. These companies came out. And they said, oh, sir, you got more weeds in this than you got grass. He said, okay, well, how do we fix it? He said, we got a weed and feed. He said, what does that do? He said, well, what the weed and feed does is it, it kills, it poisons that which is a weed. And it brings life, fertilizes that which is good grass. Can I tell you something? Just because you got saved don't mean there ain't still weeds in your garden. Just because you love Jesus with all your heart don't mean there's not some weeds that are trying to choke out the good stuff in your life. So you got to feed the good stuff. Come on now. And you got to starve out the stuff that's been trying to kill you, the weeds in your mind in your life. we got to weed and feed. And so I, said, well, so I said, well, how much did it cost? He goes, man, it was like $40 a month. I said, 40, how long did it take? He said, oh, you're not going to believe it. It took forever. I was like, how long is forever? He said, oh, at least a year. I was like, oh, dang. I said, but it got better right away. He goes, oh, no. He said, they started started throwing it on there. He said, all of a sudden, big, dry dirt patches appeared in my yard. I said, why? He goes, I guess all the weeds were dying. I said, well, there you go. And he goes, your whole yard's going to be dead. I'm going to tell you that right now. (laughs) So I called, and I had the guys come out. And they're like, oh, yes, sir. Ooh, that's all weeds, like that guy said. What you can do is we can weed and feed it, but it's going to take a little bit of time. I said, how long is it going to take? A year. But in a year from now, if you weed and feed and have one of the best marriages you ever could dream of having, wouldn't it be worth it? If you could weed and feed right now and it begin to turn around that little conflict that you're having with your teenage kids. With, listen, young person, wouldn't it be awesome if you started feeding the good things of the relationship with your parents and starving out the wicked stuff that's happening? Wouldn't that be awesome to have an amazing relationship with your parents a year from now? Why don't we start the processes of weed and feeding and protect what's good in our life, protect what God's done? we got to be about protecting it because what? Love always. One more time. Love always. You fell asleep. Let's keep you moving. All right, here we go. <laughs> let's, let's go to number four. And the fourth thing that I would teach you is that you got to be gracious. 
You've got to be gracious. Look what Psalms 103 and verse 10 says. Talking about God. He does not treat us as our sin deserves or repay us according to our iniquities. Aren't you grateful that Jesus don't treat you in reference to how you deserve to be treated based on our sin? Aren't you grateful that he doesn't treat us and, and, and whoop on us and, 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 and beat on us based on what we really deserve to receive? Aren't you grateful that he gives grace and mercy to you and me? Aren't you grateful that he didn't go, okay, all right, three times today you curse, so three times today I'm gonna cause you to get in a car accident. Crash, crash, crash. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful that he takes our sins and he throws them as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more? Then why are we so hard on our spouses? Why are we so difficult with our children? Why are you so hard on your parent? Grace. It's time to be gracious. It's time to say, you know what? I know you're not perfect, but you're mine. And I want you to know that I'm here and I'm not letting go because love always protects. It's time to be gracious. You know, my little wife, she puts up with so much mess. She is so gracious with me. And I, in return, am gracious with her. The other day, you know, she was at the gas station. And she hit this concrete planter with her car. And you would have thought, once she hit it and started scraping the side of it, that she would have backed up. But she didn't. She went forward, just destroyed the whole side of the car. And she calls me. She goes, um, I, I think I scratched the car a little bit. I was like, uh, okay, well, let me see. And so I, I came and I found her. <laughs> she didn't scratch up the car a little bit. She destroyed the side of the car. I was like, you guys, I'm so sorry. And I remembered, I was stupid yesterday. I was stupid the day before. I was stupid the day before. And she was gracious with me. So I was like, oh, baby, don't worry about it. I'll buy you another. What you want, girlfriend? I ain't got no money because we're living on a budget. But I'll get you something, baby. You're the best. What you need? And let me tell you something. God was so good to her. She claimed it on insurance. And then she went and she, got, uh, she, she met with Kroger and made them give her some money. She made money off the whole deal. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. We don't have a lot of scriptures in the New Testament about how, how to be good families and how to deal with each other. But we do have a couple key pieces right here in, verse, in, in Ephesians. So it's worth going back and looking at, in your own time. But in verse 4, it talks about fathers. And it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate them. Don't, don't frustrate them. Some of you are so hard on your kids, man. And you think that you're coaching them and making them better. Give some grace space. Say it with me. Grace space. Say it again. Grace space. Listen, they're kids. They're going to break something. It's going to happen. And yes, you have to discipline them. But don't exasperate their little hearts and go, you know, Dad, I can never do right for Dad. I'm always messing it up. They're always mad at me. When you exasperate them, that leads them into the arms of another. It does. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about spoiling them rotten. They, they need discipline. But I'm talking about don't exasperate them. Don't frustrate them. Give some grace space, if you will. Years ago, I've told you this a few times. Years ago, we lived in an apartment complex with all Christians on the campus of CFNI. And my kids were just being kids. They were out running around, screaming, yelling, playing in the middle of the apartment complex area. You know? and, uh, and next thing I know, I get a knock on the door. And there's this lady standing there. And she's got my kids you know, by the arm. And she said, Pastor Adam, your kids are out here yelling and screaming. 
like little wild Indians. And I work nights and I'm trying to sleep and they're waking me up and I told them, you should not be doing this. You're Pastor Adam's kids. You should act better than this. And I went, whoa, back up, woman. I said, first off, thank you for correcting them. They had no idea that you were trying to sleep. They had no idea. So good job saying, hey, please, can y'all be quiet? I said, but when the moment you, you crossed the line, so protection, you crossed the line because they're pastors, Adam's kids. They can't make a mistake. Just the opposite. They're kids. They're ki- they, how stupid were you when you were 11? I looked at her. How, how many stupid things did you do at 15? Oh, I was stupid at 15. Thank you. All right? We're going to give them a little bit of gray space. Now, kids, you know she sleeps. Don't run past her little apartment. Go run over there. Yell a lot louder over there. You know why? Because if they're out there yelling, running and yelling, they won't do it in my house. I got a plan. This thing got a plan. And then they'll sleep good at night. Wear them out, baby. I wear them out. I bet you can't run around the apartment complex three times. Who can do it the fastest? Go. No. Go in and make a sandwich. Oh, God, I got to run back. Oh, three minutes. Good job. <laughs> you know why? Because that lady and her own self wasn't gracious. So she couldn't be gracious with others. Listen, sometimes you're so hard on yourself, you take that out on other people. Sometimes you have such a tough job that you take it out on your spouse. You take it out on your kids. You need to be gracious. You need to give a little bit of space. Say, you know what, what you did was wrong. But I love you. And I want to believe in you. And I do believe in you. Now, this is why I'm going to discipline you right here. You can't have your phone for a week. But I want you to know I'm proud of you even admitting that you did that. And I want you to know that you're the best kid I could have ever dreamed of having. God gave you to me. You are my gift. And I love you. Don't exasperate your children. That's what he's teaching. We don't have a lot of teaching in the New Testament about how to raise kids. But this is one of the key pieces. Let me bring you to one of the last pieces that I would teach. And that is this. Put it or keep it. In the hands of Jesus. One of my favorite scriptures that I quote all the time is Psalms 127, verse 1. It says this Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Now, let me, let me put this in perspective for you. So, we're talking about ancient times. I want you to think about in ancient times, we're talking about tribal communities. So, you would have a wife, y'all would have kids, their kids would have kids, and you would become a tribe, if you will. You might live out in the woods. You might live out in the plains. And the way that tribal groups advanced themselves is they would attack other tribes. They would enslave them. They would steal from them. They would take from them. They would dominate them, whatever they would want to do. And the more powerful you got, that's why they all wanted to have sons. So they could have warring sons, if you will. So when, you, when you're thinking about that, that's the reason why. Then they would trade their daughters to have peace with another tribe. And that daughter would marry the prince coming up in this tribe. And they would, that would be a pact that they wouldn't war against each other. Because why? Because we got, we got family. We family. And we come together as family. And then as they got, became larger groupings of people, they would build walls around their dwelling places, their cities, if you will. And then so that you could sleep at night, worried about some other warring group that lived off in the distance, whether they were sneaking up on you in the middle of the night, you would post guards, and they would stand on the wall, and they would watch. In fact, it was very known in ancient times, you did not, they would shut the city gate at a certain time, at, at nightfall, and once the sun starts going, they shut the gate, and you're not coming in. And if you even got close to that wall, they just are foot, 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 no questions out, they start killing you. Because they were so worried about rival tribes coming and attacking them. So when this is being quoted out, this is what it's saying, unless the Lord stand on the city gate, on the wall and watch out for what's your, what needs to protect, be protected. Unless the Lord does it, all, everybody else is just watching in vain. 
Here's, here's the point of that whole passage. You put your kids in God's hands. You put your spouse in God's hands. Because if he's not watching over them, all that you're doing is in vain anyway. You cannot always be there. I can't always be there for my kids. And they get in the car with somebody else. And I don't know if that person drives right and going to kill them. And I used to get all worried about, you can never go with a friend. You can never drive with them. And I had to learn to put this passage in place. Lord, I put them in your hands. I can't always be there to make sure that someone doesn't kidnap my wife or do some harm to my family. So, Lord, I put them in your hands. Lord, they're in your hands. You, Lord God, you have them in the palm of your hand. Lord, I trust that you will not let harm come to them. You've got to put it in the hands of the Lord. I'm telling you right now, you've got to put it in the hands of the Lord. The key to protect your family, put it in the hands of the Lord. Put them in the hands of the Lord. Some of you are so worried, I, I don't know if he's going to cheat on me. Put it in the hands of the Lord. You're going to live your life crazy. I, I don't know if he's going to go back to his old way. Put it in the hands of the Lord. I don't know if, he, if those teachers are going to teach my kid with that. Put it in the hands of the Lord. Because you're going to drive yourself insane. And you become a person of worry and doubt, which is sin. Because the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. And you've got to say, Lord, I put it in your hands. I'm going to trust. You single parents, you're like, I don't know if my kid's going to go start doing drugs. He's at home by himself. Put it in the hands of the Lord. Raise them the best way you can. Put as much fences around it as you can. Put as much borders and protection around it. But at the end of the day, Lord, it's in your, hand, your hands. Lord, if you don't watch over the city, I'm watching in vain. If, Lord, if you're not there beside me, if you're not seeing what I can't see and protecting what I can't protect, I'm doing it all in vain. Lord, it's in your hands, and in you alone will I stand and will I trust. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on, stand with me all across the room. I want to close out our time by just praying over our families, over our marriages. I want to make this kind of a special moment. And when you came in, you should have been handed a card. It's a prayer card that we developed for you for this weekend. And in that, on that card, on one side, it's a prayer for husbands or a prayer for wives. And on the other side, it's a prayer for our children. A prayer that you can pray every day. I know some of you aren't real comfortable praying. You feel like you don't have the words all the time. So what I did was I, I tried to develop this for you. Found some good prayers. And I kind of put them all together for you. And, I, and I'm hoping that you can use this as a pattern. In fact, I would put this on my truck as I was driving to work. And I would pray these prayers over my, my spouse, over my children. I, I'd maybe put it by my nightstand. But I thought today... For those of us that are married, if we could join hands with our spouse, if they're next to us, if they're out, they're working maybe in one of the service areas, and you just stand where you're at. If you're single, you can just, you know, obviously hold the card, and we're praying into your future spouse. But I want to kind of do a corporate together, a reading of this prayer. I, wanna, I want us to read it together. I want us to pray it with all sincerity. I want you to know that God is going to protect your marriage. I want you to know that your children are being placed in God's hands to watch over your grandchildren into the hands of the living God. And I want to close out this series by doing what our last point said. Let's put it in the hands of the Lord. Put that marriage in the hands of the Lord. Put, that, put those children, put that family unit in the hands of the Lord. If you've got the card, you can turn it. What you'll, know, you'll look at, we'll start with the prayer for husband or the prayer for, for, for wives. And what you'll do is when we get to the space where it's her name, you'll just say her name or his name. The words are exactly the same on each card, but you get to say her if it's your wife or him if it's your husband. And I'll read it. We'll put it on the screen. If you didn't get your card, they'll be available for you as you walk out. I'll just step to the side. If you didn't get a card or you can't see it because of the lighting in the room, then you can read it off the screen with me. But can we just read this prayer and pray it together as a prayer of faith over our spouse? We'll start with our spouse. And then if you're a single person, you're praying it into your spouse to come. 
Lord Jesus, I ask that you protect Jamie and shield her from danger. Make her strong. Define her by your character so that she can lean on you for wisdom in any situation. Guard Jamie by the power of your name and allow nothing formed against her to prosper. Hold her close to your heart with her eyes focused always on you. At home, work, or wherever she goes, keep her heart and thoughts pure. Lead her away from temptation and keep her to be continually aware of the enemy's efforts to distract, deceive, or discourage her. Cancel every attempt to discredit my wife or her character. May your right hand strengthen her daily as you guard her with your presence. Keep her where her, where her, help her, excuse me, wear her spiritual armor well as she serves our family with integrity and honor. Seal up the exits that cry for escape when responsibilities grow heavy on her shoulders. Thank you that your promise to carry her burdens and lighten her load in daily battles of life. Preserve her testimony and keep her faith rooted deeply in you, Lord. You are Jamie's sure defense, and you're the only one who can truly keep her safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray for every marriage, every couple, every husband and wife. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that this little sample prayer, Lord God, will become a lifelong desire to put our spouses into your hands, trusting you that you will protect them, that you will watch over them, that you will keep our marriages strong. For those that are single who are praying this by faith already, they're kind of laying the groundwork for their spouse to come. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that as they pray it forward, if you will, that, Lord God, that you're prepping their spouse to be the person they need by the time you bring the union together. And Jesus, we ask you that Church on the Hill would have marriages that are strong and vibrant, that, Lord, they'd be full of life, And every demonic attack against them would be routed. Every old weed from the past would be rooted out. Lord God, would be murdered. Lord God, would be destroyed. And all the things, all the good stuff, all the stuff that builds the marriage, Lord God, would begin to be fed and grow and outgrow all the weeds in Jesus' name. If you'll turn the other side of the card, even if you don't have children, even if you're a young person. We want to pray forward into our children. If you have children, we want to pray over that now. So you'll reach out your card, and we'll go through that prayer. Give us the next one on the screen for us. Prayer for our children. Together, here we go. Father, I entrust my children into your loving care. I declare that Jesus will be the most powerful influence in their lives. I ask you to surround them with your constant presence and safety. Because you love children, you are even more concerned than I am as a parent. You take their protection seriously. Place your Holy Spirit around them like a bubble that deflects any harm aimed their way. Guard them from danger at school, whether from outside or inside. Place your angels in strategic places, ready to move on their behalf. Let no evil come near them. Give them a steadfast faith, a trust in you that puts their fears at rest, knowing they will live in safety with your solid protection. Guard them from temptation and those who would try to make them compromise their convictions. When trouble comes, let them cry to you, their deliverer and refuge. May their security rest not in this world, but in their relationship with you and in their eternal future. Impress on them daily that this world is not their final home and that nothing and no one can ever separate them from your love. In Jesus' name. Father, we pray for our kids. For our, for our kids to come, 
Father, we thank you that our children are protected, that they are covered. Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, that our families will be strong units of grace and mercy, that you will use our family to touch other families in our community, that, Lord God, that you will guide us and protect us, that you will watch over us and keep us safe, that, Lord God, that those that even teenagers and young people in the room who still live in mom and dad's house, that they would have a beautiful relationship, Lord, they'd have great communication, that, Lord God, there would be love and forgiveness even as they're growing up and becoming adults, oh God, that that whole relationship dynamic could grow and mature tour and their parents could be their best friends and dad could be their best friend mom could be their best friend lord for those that are single parents oh god i pray for supernatural strength i pray for supernatural guidance and lord i thank you for an especial strength to put those kids in your hand as a single parent know them that you're watching over them as they're at home by themselves before mom gets home that you're watching over them lord god with the teachers that they have before dad can even meet with them lord i thank you right now that you are covering our families and and that we will be, Lord God, the kind of families that you, Lord God, had intended us to be. That the future of our family is so bright that we have to wear shades. We call it as so in Jesus' name. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment? Today we're talking about the family and we finished up that series. But maybe you say, Pastor, i got to be honest. I've been coming to church on the hill for a week or so or been here before. But the truth of the matter is I'm not even a part of the family of God. I'm pretty sure that if I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. Friend, that's a terrible place to be. I've been there. It's misery. But you came here today because something is stirring in you. God's been kind of wooing you. He's been kind of drawing you to himself. I feel in my heart that today could be the day that if you would respond, you would feel the grace and the mercy that you've been crying out for. The shame that has dominated you, that made you feel so embarrassed can all turn and all the lies oh you'll never mean it you can't ever serve God you can't ever you can't ever be faithful to that relationship those lies will die today the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ the son of the living God that he will forgive you and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness and today with every head bowed and every eye closed no one's looking around I want to give you opportunity to come to Jesus I want to give you opportunity to make him the Lord of your life. Maybe you used to serve God and you just kind of walked away. Maybe you would call yourself separated or divorced even. I want want you to know something. He's been longing to have you back in his life. He said, what do I do, Pastor? Well, I've already quoted his scripture. You just confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. He will cleanse you. He'll forgive you. So today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to pray with anyone. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. No one's looking around, but this is a deep, private decision. I know we're in public, but this is a decision that's going to affect your eternity. So I don't want you to be slack concerning it. But if you realize, you know what, I'm tired of living like this. I don't want to be like this. I want God in my life. Some people tell me all the time, I feel like when you talk, it's like Jesus is your best friend. That's exactly right. I'm not doing the church thing. I'm in love with Jesus Christ. He's changed me. I have a relationship with him, and I want you to have the same thing. That's what I'm offering you today, and that's what he wants you to have. So with no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me, I want to pray. I want God to come into my life. With no one looking around, that's you. Would you just admit it to yourself, to me, to heaven, by lifting your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray with me. I want to come to Christ today. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? And a couple of hands. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you for your honesty. Give about two more seconds. Thank you. Anybody else? I I don't want to miss you. Yeah, I saw your hand. Thank you. I just want to know who I'm praying with. 
Try not to embarrass you. No one's looking. It's just me and you. Anybody else? Okay, put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of making it right with God. There's nothing magical about the words. What's supernatural is you said, yeah, I want God. You lifted your hand and admitted it to yourself. I want God in my life. So we're going to confess him. We're going to ask him into our life. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud with those who lifted their hand. And I want you to mean it from the depths of who you are. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I recognize that I've sinned against you. But I ask you now to forgive me. I receive what you did on the cross for me. And here and now, I declare Jesus. Say it out loud. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Let your grace wash over my sin. Make me whole and complete in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray right now for every person who cried out and asked you into their life. I pray they feel and sense your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray that they would know that they are right with you. They don't have to perform. They don't have to give money to the church to be right with you. They just ask and they receive. Thank you that you did all the heavy lifting. (laughs) You died on the cross. You paid for our sin. You paid it forward. And today, Lord God, that, that grace was received. And Father, I thank you that now you'll start transforming us a little bit at a time. Brand new garden, steal some old weeds, and you'll help us, Lord God, choke those out as we just grow in you. Lord, let grace and mercy abound in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.